in Revelation chapter 20. If you have a Bible, it's open up there. Today, as we go through our study, four things in one sense. So you want to put it all together. Number one, we're going to see tying the devil. How Satan will be bound uh, for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. If you could visualize God tying up the devil. Number two, uh, tasting the Lord. We're going to see as Jesus Christ reigns from Jerusalem, we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Think about life. How would it be if Jesus was king? And he will be for a thousand years. But then after that, there's testing the world. How Satan will be released after a thousand years and the world is going to be tested. Are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian? Are you really a believer? Or you just come to church because you have to. Is it out of habit? Is it superficial? Does God live inside of you? Are you real? Because if you're not, you're going to get found out. And so tying the devil, tasting the Lord, testing the world, and then at the end of our study, a heavy, heavy uh, section, we're going to see trying the rebellious and how the rebellious will rise and stand before the great white throne and there will be a trial King Jesus will be the judge, and everyone whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And so it's a heavy, heavy chapter. It's very important for us. Imagine yourself, you're walking down the street. How many of you guys go for walks? Nowadays, a lot of people are going for walks, right? So you go down the street, you're walking down the street, and imagine your neighbor's house is on fire. It's on fire. Now, none of you here would just walk by, right? Especially if you heard screams, especially if you heard someone was in the house while it's on fire. The least you would do, the very least, would be you would call 911. But if you heard the voices, I know you guys, I know you. You would go and you would help and you would do what you can. Well, that's what's happening. We're talking about the flames, the lake of fire, the least you can do is pray. The least you can do is pray. But I know the Lord wants us to do so much more because we all have a part in the body of Christ. And as you do your part, whatever it might be, God is using you to pull people out of the flames, the Bible says in the book of Jude. And so this, this, is what life is all about. And so it's a cool verse. We're going to see chapter 20 is so huge, uh, trying the devil, how Satan is bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. We begin there in verse 1. He says, And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so verse 1, John, he sees an angel it's interesting to me that it's just an angel. Not like a mighty angel, not like a great angel, not like Gabriel, not like Michael. He's just an angel. 
And if you can visualize the angel, it's almost like he catches Satan by the ankles and whatever, he get, puts a chain on him, and he just throws him down into the abyss, into the bottomless pit. And, and as I'm reading that, I don't know, this is just a quick side note, I just thought, wow, is, how did the angel get so much power? Had he been going to the gym, I was thinking? I mean, is this like, is it his power? No, it's God's power. It's God's power. And, and for us, as we wrestle uh, against these demons, maybe even one day against the devil himself, we got to know this is how it works. You and I have to know we have access to the same power. Did you know that when you pray and when you believe and when you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and you're walking in holiness and when there's that faith that we actually have the power over the enemy? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. We don't have to lose. We can defeat the devil. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there's this great commission, and Jesus said, I've given you power and authority over demons. And so in one sense, we can bind the enemy. Just like we see this angel just come down, this random angel, come down, take the devil, bind him in chains, and throw him there into the bottomless pit. And I'm not saying that we should necessarily look for that trouble or dance with the devil. All I'm saying is it is important for all of us to know who we are in Christ, that we can have that victory. You know, the angel just shows up and ties him up down yonder there, in the bottomless pit. Now we've read about this pit before. We saw in Revelation chapter 9, these horrible demons come out and torment people on planet Earth. We saw in Revelation chapter 11 and chapter 17 that the beast, he arises out of this bottomless pit. It's a weird place. I don't know. Some say maybe it's in the center of the Earth. Some say it's like a portal that enters into another dark hole. All I know is that in one sense, it's like the worst prison for demons. And so you know how if you get busted here in Almani, you might get thrown into jail there in Almani. They might transfer you over to uh, Twin Towers. You know, and then they have different correctional facilities based upon the crime that you commit. Some are worse than others. What he's saying right here is this is the worst. The abuso, the bottomless pit. There's a place where Satan will be bound. You know, when you read the gospel, we got to know, you guys, these are real things. In Luke chapter 16, the Bible talks about how when, you know, Abraham was there in this place, um, you know, there was a rich man and Lazarus, they both died. And you guys might remember there the story when they went, that there, there, there was a compartment for the righteous and there was a compartment for the unrighteous. And so the rich man was, was, was with the unrighteous, and he was praying, hey, let Lazarus just kind of dip his finger in some water and come and touch my tongue because I'm burning in these flames. But then you guys remember what Abraham said? Abraham said in Luke 16, verse 26, and I, I can't do that besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from their past to us. In other words, what we see here in Luke 16 is probably a glimpse of this abyss, this chasm 
this bottomless pit. And so the angel comes and he puts Satan in this abyss for a thousand years. He clearly identifies who it is by giving him four names. Number one, he's called the dragon. Okay, the dragon 12 times in the book of Revelation, Satan's referred to as a, as a dragon. And for most of us, when we think of a dragon, we think of this horrible creature, right? And then he's also called here the serpent of old. Now, what does that remind you of? Takes you back to Genesis chapter 3, the snake that deceived Adam and Eve with his lies and poisoned them through his cunning. This is the one, clearly him. He's also called the, the devil, and the Greek word is diablos, and that means a slanderer. And so that's why when I go to Taco Bell, I never get the black sauce, the diablo sauce. I would. Can you imagine yourself going to Taco Bell and saying, I want the diablo sauce? I always just, sometimes my kids, oh, come on, Dad. And I'm like, okay, well, give, give me the black one, whatever, you know, but... The Diablos. I mean, clearly he takes this dragon, this serpent of old, the, the Diablo, which means the slanderer. He takes Satan, which means the adversary. Think about what life will be like without the devil, without his demons, without temptation. Think of what the music will be will like, how beautiful and pure the music will be, how beautiful and pure the movies will be. There'll be no bad billboards. There'll be none of that crazy temptation or awful legislation. This, the devil will be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now first, we saw in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that he was cast out of heaven. Here we see he's cast out of earth. Now there are some Christians, kind of weird, they think that the devil was bound when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Um, but no, it's not true. First uh, Peter chapter five verse eight says Satan is still walking around like a roaring lion. Okay, so it hasn't happened yet. It will happen. What we see here as the devil is tied. And so number one, we see tying the devil, and then number two is tasting the Lord. The saints will reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years. Look what it says in verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. And so first is tying the devil. And then second is tasting the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, chapter 34 and verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you let the Lord be the Lord of your life, if you let him call the shots, if you let him lead you as a 
as a husband and as a dad and as an old person, as a young person, whoever you are, if you let the Lord be the king of your life, you will see, you will taste and see how good he is. And that's what's going to happen for a thousand years. Think about it. A thousand years. I mean, all those prophecies God gave to the Jews. Psalm uh, chapter 2, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How one day the descendant of David would be king and he would rule over the world. This is the fulfillment of that. How we will see, we will taste and see that the Lord is good. Imagine what life is going to be like with the devil bound in the abuso for a thousand years with King Jesus ruling from Jerusalem. And what it says right here is so cool. It says that we're going to rule with him. It says there in verse 4a, it first of all references us as saints that we're going to rule with him. And then in verse 4b, that the tribulation saints will rule with him. And, and basically what he's saying here, and it's important for us to realize this, because, you know, the next event on the church, you know, a calendar is the rapture of the church and then the seven-year tribulation. So we're not going to be here during the tribulation period, but those who are here during the tribulation period, they'll have access to the book of Revelation. And while the devil's tempting them and the devil's threatening them and the whole society is going in a certain you know, direction and it says all you got to do is get the mark of the beast. All you got to do is go with the flow. Come on, you know, chillax, ch ain't no thing. What we're reading here in the book of Revelation, he says, but no, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you could just endure, then you will reign. And that's the principle of life, isn't it? Especially for us as Christians. You know, some people have the mentality, and we're living in a world now that has the mentality that says, well, I was born this way. I was born this way. And so, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. You got your animal appetites, and you're going to satisfy them. But, you know, Jesus said, they think, well, I can just be that way. I was born this way. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I can still be a Christian. But, but they forget. Jesus, when he called people to follow him, the very first thing he told them, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We don't just go with the flow. We don't just go with what we want to do, and this is the way that I, you know, I am. We, we deny ourselves. Here's the way it works. If we embrace the cross, we'll experience the crown. And that's what we see here. You know, I don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl today. If I knew for sure, I could probably bet a lot of money and make a lot of money, huh? You know, we don't know the future when it comes to certain things. But I do know the future regarding other things that are written in the Bible. Jesus said, that this is going to come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they won't pass away. You can take this to the bank. This is absolutely certain. Satan will be tied. There'll be the tying of Satan, and there'll be the, the tasting of the Lord. 
You know, and it's going to be an amazing time. Go over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. This millennial kingdom is going to be so amazing. Think about it, a thousand years. Okay, we look at the United States of America and we think, oh, you know, it's been around forever. No, it hasn't. You know, 1776. I mean, you know, we're nearing, you know, eventually, whatever, 250 years. But man, it, this is a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning. Pastor Chuck said more than likely the earth is going to have a, uh, an angle. It won't be tilted the way it is now. And so the weather's going to be good wherever you live on planet earth. Uh, like I said earlier, no more temptations, no more bad influences, uh, no more sickness. Think about that. No more disease. Look what it says here in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Imagine that, your kids playing with snakes. You know, the lion and, and these animals, the ox and the the cow and the bear, imagine that, just this amazing time, this peace, this prosperity. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Imagine that, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. You know what the banner is like, you guys? You know what the banner is? It's like the flag, the flag that, you know, we have our different nations and we have our different flags and it's really cool and things like that. But our flag will be Christ. He will stand as a banner for the nations, for the people, the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. You see, it's going to be an amazing time thousand years we're ruling and, and reigning with Christ. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that's something, you know, it, and I don't know how it all works. Some people believe that when I get my glorified bodies, I'm going to be ready and, you know, have it all figured out. But let me say also to that, that you are being prepared now for them. Did you know that? And so uh, I encourage you, man, learn all that you can. Be a servant leader if you're faithful now, God will entrust you with more responsibilities then. What for? So that you can give God glory. You can do good for people even then. Because what's going to happen is after the seven-year tribulation period is over, then the people that survived the tribulation period, which we don't know exactly what the numbers are, but remember the tribulation period is going to be a crazy time, some people believe that 90% of the population on earth will die. 90%. So maybe you have 10% of the population left. I don't know, maybe 800 million people are, are left. And then what happens when you read Matthew chapter 25, 
It's called the judgment of the nations. And the Bible says that at that point, Jesus will come and he will separate the sheep from the goats. And the goats will be cast into hell, but the sheep will enter in to the millennial kingdom. And those sheep, those people that enter into the millennial kingdom, they will then repopulate the earth. Now, those that go in, I believe they were friendly to the Jews. They are saved, but it doesn't automatically mean that their descendants and children are saved. So when we're here, even then, we can be good influences to, to the people. We will rule and reign over them. You know, the Bible talks about this a number of times. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, so Jesus said to them, the apostles, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you have the apostles judging in Israel, and then you also have the saints. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And so we will have responsibilities judging over uh, cities, it says in Luke 19, 17 through 19, he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. And so, you guys, as we look to the future, understand this. If you can embrace your cross now, you'll have a crown then. Maybe some of you saw the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you remember at the end, they put the crowns on Peter and Lucy and Susan and Edmund. You know, that, that's us in one sense. And we'll be serving the Lord. It'll be amazing. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And so that's why when you read throughout the book of Revelation, you see this promise, and it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, that we will be kings and priests. So you're wondering, well, what are we going to do during the tribulation period? We're going to be ruling in one sense, reigning with Jesus, but we're also going to have the ministry of priesthood. Like I said, there's going to be people during the, 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 the millennial kingdom that need that ministry of a representative of God. And so these are the things that are ahead. I believe that the Lord here is trying to emphasize to the tribulation saints, you keep going. Don't take the mark. Don't go the way of the world. Don't bow down to the devil. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know that serving the Lord sometimes, it's not easy. But if you will embrace your cross, then one day you will have the crown. Now, Warren Worsby said this, For many centuries, man has dreamed of a golden age, a utopia. Men have tried to achieve this goal on their own and have failed. It is only when Jesus Christ reigns on David's throne that the kingdom will come and the earth will be delivered from the oppression of Satan and sin.
Now, when you look at the thousand-year reign, I want to just mention one uh, thing. There are those who have weird views, and so I want to warn you about that. Some people uh, believe in what's called post-millennialism, and what they will say is that the church, this is their doctrine, that the church infiltrates society so much that the church is able to change the world and make it good, and for a thousand years it's going to be like Jesus is reigning. That's post-millennialism, and it's not going to happen. Last century, there were two world wars, and there were numerous holocausts. Things have not gotten better that way. We'll try, but we can't bring this utopia. That's post-millennialism. Another word to watch out for is amillennialism. And there are those who look at this and they say, well, the thousand-year thing, it's just, you know, Jesus reigning in your heart. It's not really to be taken literal. But when you read the chapter six times, John talks about the thousand-year reign. And so it's literal. It's fulfillment of prophecy. It's after the tribulation period. Jesus will reign for a thousand years and we will reign with him. Now, when you look at this, in verses 5 and 6, he mentions the, the resurrection. So I want to read it again. Notice in Revelation 20, in verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. And so the first resurrection is us, okay? So the Old Testament saints, when Jesus died on a cross, were allowed to go into heaven. They didn't receive their glorified bodies until the rapture of the church. That's when we all received our glorified bodies. That's the first resurrection. Those who die in the tribulation period, they're part of the first resurrection. And so that's us. The second resurrection is for those who are rebellious. And so we read next, after tying the devil for a thousand years, after tasting the Lord for a thousand years, then comes testing the world. Because look what happens in verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from the prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number, notice, is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And then we read in verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. You know, and, and, and evil is about to end. The devil, we know his future is doomed. There he gets thrown into the lake of fire where notice the beast and the false prophet, they're still there. They have not been annihilated. They're still there. And they will be tormented, the Bible says, forever and ever. 
You know, we sigh at Satan's release. I mean, you know, some might say, well, why didn't God just leave him there in, in the abyss for a thousand years? And we're heartbroken that after this time of tasting the, the rule of King Jesus, that people on planet Earth continue to rebel against him. But we know this, that love must be tested. It must be. You know, that's what happened with Job. You might remember his story, you know, when one day Satan came and appeared before God and God brought up Job and he said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. And the devil told God, he said, the only reason he serves you is he's a mercenary. He believes that he's going to get the good out of it. And I'll tell you what, if you let me touch him in ways that hurt, uh, he will curse you to your face. And then God said to, to the devil, go ahead and, and do your thing. And the devil went and he did his thing. And Satan came and Job's health was stripped away and his wealth was stripped away and his children were taken away. And then he was tested. Do you st will you still love God? The only way that anyone could really still love God is if they are real. Real. And what we find during this whole millennial kingdom is, yeah, there's a lot of people, they're abiding by the rules because Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron and they're going through the motions and they have all the habits, but they don't have the heart. And so as Satan comes up and he says, you know what? And I have a feeling that when Jesus rules from Jerusalem, although he does rule with a rod of iron because of who he is, he leads with humility, with humility. And so the devil comes up and he says, you know what, we can take this guy and you can do what you want to do. You can go get high, and you can go get drunk, and you can go sleep around, and you can go ahead and look at pornography and do all the crazy things that your flesh wants to do. He shouldn't suppress that from you. And the devil, he musters up this rebellion. You know, it says Gog and, and Magog, and, and more than likely that's not to be taken literally more than likely, by this time, Gog and Magog, they're kind of symbolic of just resistance to God and of opposition to God's people. You know, Ezekiel 38, it talks about the invasion from the north of Gog and Magog and other nations. This is not the same event. This is talking about the devil gathering people from all over the world. It says people whose number is as the sand of the sea. And it breaks your heart to see that they come against the Lord. But let me tell you something. You might be here, and you might not really be saved. You know, you go to church. You might even read your Bible. You might even pray. But you're not really saved. God doesn't live in you. You're not real. And one day, eventually, your true colors will come out. That's why it's so important that you are truly born again. You gotta make sure that you're saved. You know, the, the Lord told the parable one time. He said, there was a man who had, you know, uh, some demons. And so they came and they cast out the demons but the man didn't fill himself with anything. He didn't fill himself with God. He was just empty. 
And so Jesus said what ended up happening is seven demons that were looking for a place to stay, they went and they entered that man who had not filled his heart with God, and the last state of that man was worse than the first state. And, and it's a lesson for us that if you don't really know the Lord and you're just playing church, then you got to make sure you understand that one day the devil's going to come and you're going to be tested and you will be swept away. This is why it is critical, it is so important that if you understand the gospel, if you understand that Jesus died for you and rose again, if you can hear that invitation from him, that you can honestly say, I have said yes to him, and you have given your heart to Christ. Otherwise, what we see, it'll happen just like it happened here. These people, they were swept away. You see, testing reveals the reals. And Job said this in Job 23.10, He knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. We're all going to get tested. Testing reveals who we are, who's you know here out of habit, who's superficial, who's just religious, who's just going through the motions, who's wheat, who's wolves, who are the tares. The testing reveals. Warren Wiersbe said, in one sense, the millennial kingdom will sum up all that God has said about the heart of man during the various periods of history. It will be a reign of law, and yet law will not change man's sinful heart. Man will still revolt against God, and yet in the end, the subjects of the king will follow Satan and rebel against the Lord. Why? Because a perfect environment cannot produce a perfect heart. You know, we see here Satan cast into the lake of fire. Matthew 25, 41 tells us that it was created for the devil and his angels. And when I read that, to be honest, I'm like, wow, Lord, that's going to be an awesome day. We know Satan is defeated. And so this is what we have in the future, how God will tie up the devil and how there's this tasting of the Lord and the testing of the world. But then our last chapter, and today we talk about this, Lord willing, next week will be Valentine's Day, and so we'll talk about true love, and the week after that we'll get back into the book of Revelation, and we'll talk about heaven. Heaven's going to be cool, okay? We're going to be there one day, but before we talk about heaven, we've got to talk about this place called hell and the lake of fire. And look what it says in verse 11, and then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And you know, just as a quick side note, you know, here you visualize the, the white throne. Why is it white? Because it's pure, it's holy. There's no sin in the pure and perfect presence of God you know, 20 times in the book of Revelation, we've talked about the throne, but this is the first time we've come across this throne. This is the throne that Jesus will sit on, this great white throne. And if you can look at the throne, there in front of the throne, everyone is standing, the rebellious rise. But notice what it says, small and great. Small and great. And what do you think he's talking about there? You think he's talking about short people and tall people? 
No, you know what I know what he's talking about? The famous and those that no one have ever heard of. And, and let me just say this to you because it just it nauseates me sometimes how we esteem these celebrities and these athletes that are not worthy of a sliver of any honor. You know, and they're great and they're famous and we follow them. Why? Why? You guys, be so careful who you put up on your pedestal, who you look up to, who you listen to, who you give ear to, who you look to. Because one day, these small and these great, whatever you call great is, what, because they won Grammys, because they won Emmys, because they won these dumb trophies? One day, they're going to stand, the small and great, in front of the great white throne. And so we read here in verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God in books, were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And it's because of this moment in time that we're still here. And we live to bring glory to God. We, we live to help the church get strong, be strong, stay strong, so that together we can pull people out of the flames. This is why we live. You know, I don't, I don't read this and celebrate and laud their destruction. Absolutely not. Like I said earlier, I, I read this and I'm reminded of it. It makes me want to catch fire. What can I do, Lord? What can I do better? Because one day, you know, people will perish. And I know, Lord, you're going to do everything you can to prevent that. And in order for someone to go to hell, they have to choose that place. And they have to walk over your dead body. I understand that. But this is why we do what we do. And I'm so grateful for a church that serves and loves and prays and gives. Thank you, because this is what happens. We pull people out of the fire. You know, John saw this great white throne, and, and like I, I said, you know, tying the devil, tasting the Lord, testing the world, and trying the rebellious. And what I mean by trying the rebellious is that they're going to be on trial now. There's a trial, so to speak. And, and the thing about it, though, is not 
like most trials, this one's different. Warren Wiersbe said the white throne judgment will be nothing like our modern court cases. At the white throne, there will be a judge but no jury, a prosecution but no defense, a sentence but no appeal. And what we find is all the rebellious dead are resurrected and then the books are opened. And it's interesting, not just the book of life, there's other books that are opened. And, and more than likely, there's probably a book for all of our lives. You know, for us as Christians, we're not going to have to stand before the great white throne. This is for the non-believer. But for all the non-believers, there's a biography of their life. And they're looking at all the, the, the works that they've done. And just in case you're wondering, well, why are they, you know, looking at their works? You know, some people have this mentality, well, if my good works kind of outweigh my bad works then I'm going to make it to heaven, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 and verse 6 that our works, the, our righteousness, the best that any person can do is as a filthy rag before God, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, uh, Henry read it earlier, we're, we're not saved by works. No one could be saved by works. If you could be saved by works, then Jesus would never have had to die. We cannot be saved by works. And so you're wondering, well, why are the works even open? Why are they even talking about it? You want to know why? Because it determines the extent of their sentence. You know, there are some who have a lot of light. They know better. And the Bible says those who knew his master's will and didn't do it, they will receive more strife. The more you're given, the more you're accountable. But then, of course, there are those who have done horrendous crimes. And so God's going to go through those works with a fine-tooth comb. And anyone not written in the book of life, the Bible says, was cast into the lake of fire. You know, some people believe that the Bible doctrine of eternal torment is unbiblical, but Jesus talked about it more than he did about heaven. I'm not God. Why do people judge God? He's, he's God. He, he's the one that sets up the rules. He made us. He redeems us. He maintains us. He's the one that sets up the parameters. And so when we read this, our hearts are gripped. Our hearts are heavy. Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. God has sent every single one of us in a mission field. Maybe you're not in a foreign country, but you have your family and you have your friends and you have your neighbors and you have those that you work with and you have those that the Holy Spirit lays heavy on your hearts. Go fishing. Reach out to them, pray for them, love them, because this place is real. You may have heard of a man named Charles Peace. He's from back in the 1800s. And, and he was a, a thief and a murderer who, after killing a police officer in Manchester, he fled to another city where he became obsessed with his neighbor's wife and therefore killed her husband. He went on to carry out multiple burglaries before being caught, and he then wounded police officers and fought them out. He was arrested, found guilty of multiple murders, and was then sentenced to death 
by hanging. On his death walk, he was escorted by the prison chaplain who was reading aloud from the consolations of religion about the fires of hell and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which would prevent us from going there. And peace, he cried out to this man and he said, Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save a single soul from a hell like that. It's true. It's true. We should have that same mentality as this is true. May nothing stop us from the Great Commission. You may be here and you think, well, I, I don't think really I can make much of a difference. You know, Manny, um, you know, I'll give a couple of dollars and I'll let you guys do the work of the ministry no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, think about it. If we all gather together, how many people can we pull out of the flames? It's a, it's a team effort. It's a church. It's a body of Christ, and every single person has a part in it. You know, I was reminded of that story, and you guys probably heard. How many of you heard of Edward Kimball? I'm just curious. Nobody. You guys are worse than first service in many ways, but... Okay, maybe someone has. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Yeah, huh? Well, believe it or not, way back in the day, there was a, a shoe salesman na named Edward Kimball. And he, and he worked and he sold shoes. And one day, kind of the Lord laid it on his heart. There was a burden for one of his co-workers. God put it in his heart to share the gospel. He didn't want to, and he hemmed, and he hawed, and he went back and forth, and there were days, it took days until finally one day he took this young man, this co-worker of his, and he sat him down, and he said, can I share something with you? And he shared the Lord with him. That young man got saved that day. You know who that young man was? D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody went on to become one of the greatest soul winners ever to walk the face of the earth. And D.L. Moody went on to influence a man by the name of F.B. Meyer. Some of you, maybe you've read his books. Brilliant. F.B. Meyer went on to influence a man named Wilbur Chapman, who influenced Billy Sunday, who brought Mordecai Ham to faith. And Mordecai Ham was the man that was preaching the day that Billy Graham got saved. Billy Graham went on to reach so many people, even Warren Wiersbe was saved through his ministry. We've been impacted by Warren Wiersbe. Where did it all start? It all started with this little shoe salesman in Chicago who had the heart and the grace and the obedience to share the Lord with his co-worker. So whatever you do, don't think that your part is insignificant and that you can't make a difference. You know, um, we read today about tying the devil and tasting the Lord and testing the world and trying the rebellious. But let me just close with one last word that starts with a T, and that is trusting the Lord. Psalm 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who trusts the Lord. Will you trust him today? Not with a half heart. Will you trust him today? I'll never forget the day that I got saved and God came into my life. When the pastor gave the invitation, somehow, some way, I said yes. My wife was with me. And we said yes. What if, what if, I didn't say yes that day. What if? Someone might say, well, you would have got, you know, got saved another day. I don't know. I don't know. Because when, when the Lord is calling somebody, you just never know if you're going to have an opportunity like that again. And this is why the Lord shared with me today. He said, you know, it doesn't matter what the response is, you have to at least give the people that are there an opportunity. That if you would say yes to Jesus, if you would not be ashamed, if you would humble yourself and just say, yes, I'm not sure where I stand. I'm not sure if I'll, I'll go to heaven when I die. But if you would say yes to Jesus, then he will write your name in the book of life. This is what we long to do. And so I pray, wherever you are, that God will touch your heart.